Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. Our mission is to empower you with the knowledge and the tools you need to thrive in all aspects of your life. Join us now as we discuss everything from nutrition and exercise to money management and personal growth. Dr. Choctaw will provide insightful advice on how to improve your physical and financial health, as well as your emotional and mental well-being. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, unlock financial freedom, or cultivate a more positive mindset, we've got you covered. Get ready to become the best version of yourself. So let's get started. Here's Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. Good morning. Welcome to our Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast. This is part of our Leadership Masterclass series, and it is designed to help you live long and thrive. We're delighted to have you with us today, and I am Dr. William T. Choctaw. I will be your facilitator this morning. So welcome, and let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about artificial intelligent robots in surgery. That's true. Artificial intelligent robots in surgery. I believe life is about being of service to others. I believe knowledge is power. I believe leaders can change the world. One of the things I've learned in my 50 years of surgical practice um, is that it is important to have beliefs because our beliefs affect our thoughts. Our thoughts affect our feelings, and our feelings affect our actions. So if you are not feeling well, or you are not acting the way you think you should act, go back to your beliefs and make sure your belief systems are where they should be uh, at the present time. With the Masterclass and with our podcast, I always like to have you think as doctors, think as physicians, put yourself in the shoes of that physician uh, as we go through uh, this particular topic. And then, in, and it will make much more, it'll be much more relevant and be much closer to what we're talking about. <clears throat> I always like to put up an outline and the, the purpose of the outline is to tell you what we're gonna talk about and uh, to let you know when we're just about done. I realize that you're very, very busy people and you have a lot on your plate and you have a lot to do. Um, and I appreciate uh, you sharing parts of your valuable time with us. And so we will certainly keep that in mind. We're going to talk about the definition of artificial intelligence. We'll then go to the benefits of AI in medicine in general. Uh, we'll talk about the benefits of AI robot-assisted surgery for patients. We'll talk about what those benefits are for physicians. And we'll end up talking about what those benefits are for hospitals. So when I start talking about uh, the benefits of artificial intelligent robots uh, for hospitals, then you know that I'm just about done. Well, what is artificial intelligence? Uh, one of the basic definitions is the simulation of approximation of human intelligence in machines. The simulation or approximation of human intelligence in machines. I like to simplify that and just say teaching machines to think. Artificial intelligence is basically teaching machines to think. And some of the goals of that is to have uh, computer-enhanced learning, 
reasoning, and perception. There are two basic categories of artificial intelligence, technically. One, one category has to do with basic pattern recognition, where the, the machine is taught how to recognize a certain pattern of data or pictures or images, et cetera, et cetera. The other basic uh, type is complex human emotion. And indeed, when you get into emotion and computers, uh, that gets you into some of the controversial areas. Um, and most, for the most part, we will not get into that today. Uh, but that is an issue uh, with computers, uh, particularly with um, um, AI and with uh, chatbots. And we'll talk about that a bit later at another time. Basically, computer follow, computers follow algorithms, and these are patterns of data or rules of data that data has to follow. Uh, and this is part and parcel to the process of how uh, artificial intelligence is able to occur. But if you just keep in mind that when we say artificial intelligence, <clears throat> we're talking about teaching machines to think. One of the ways that artificial intelligence has been very, very helpful in hospitals and in medicine in general is it helps all of us in healthcare to improve in our accuracy of diagnosis. Um, it helps us to improve um, in our ability to evaluate medical images, particularly with x-rays, MRIs, ultrasounds, and CAT scans. Um, it improves our medical decision-making. Uh, and this is mainly with the process called clinical decision support, where as a physician, if I have a plan of action, a therapy for a certain patient, um, and as I, I have to put that data into the computer, because all hospitals now are computerized based on the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, from uh, 2010, uh, and now... Um, what I put into that computer has to be correct or in alignment, if you will, with what that computer perceives as quality care. Otherwise, it will not allow me to do that. Um, and that's an extra protective layer, in my judgment, for quality patient care. And the other part uh, of artificial intelligence in medicine is predictive analysis. And this gets a lot into um, executive management and staffing, nursing staffing, physician staffing, et cetera, et cetera. But all of this goes to quality patient care. And this indeed is what we're most concerned about. So what are some of the benefits for patients uh, in surgery? And let me say that when I say artificial intelligent robot in surgery, I'm talking about um, robots in uh, in robot-assisted surgery uh, for patients. In other words, this is surgery that's robot-assisted. So it's not just there's a robot running around in surgery, there are no humans there. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about surgery that is robot-assisted or AI robot-assisted. And there are some particular benefits to the patient. And one of the very uh, obvious benefits to the patient uh, is that um, patients have a shorter hospital stay. And part of the reason for that is that the incision in general uh, for these types of surgeries uh, tend to be smaller. Um, and because of the small incision, that decreases the risk of um, a surgical site infection. It also decreases post-operative pain and many times allows these patients um, to recover much faster. 
And that's just ideal for a patient. And if you've ever been a patient who's had surgery uh, or had a family, a friend, a loved one who had surgery, then you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And you can appreciate how important it is um, to have the procedure done properly, uh, but have the patient not stay in the hospital any longer than they absolutely have to. One of the things that's important about robotic surgery is that it completely revolutionized the way operations are done in general uh, in the operating room. As I mentioned before, I graduated from Yale Medical School 50 years ago. Matter of fact, we're celebrating our 50-year anniversary uh, this year, uh, 1973. Um, and what, the, what traditional surgery is, the surgeon would stand at the bedside, do the operation, and then leave. Well, with robotic surgery, basically, you do not stand at the bedside. You sit at a console, uh, a computer console, um, and you do the surgery uh, indirectly moving the arms of the computer itself, which is in direct contact with the patient. I know that might seem a little confusing, but basically, uh, the physician is sitting and not standing. Now, that may not seem like a very big deal, but I can assure you, during those early days of surgery, certainly in my career, we used to stand hours in the operating room. Uh, and so that physicality became a significant issue. Uh, so now to have surgery, particularly large operations or long operations, theoretically, where the physician can sit uh, and merely work a console uh, makes it much easier physically for the for the surgeon, and, and in my judgment, uh, provides better quality care for the patient. What are some of the ways, other ways that uh, the surgeon is benefited by this uh, robot assistic apparatus in the operating room? Well, as I mentioned before, it allows surgeon to do what we call a minimally invasive surgery. Instead of making the long incisions, and all of this takes time, the long incision, more blood loss, um, um, more, more OR time because you have to close that long incision, um, uh, and clearly um, makes it much easier for the patient not to have that long incision, number one. Uh, secondly, as I mentioned, the surgeon is sitting as compared to standing long hours in the operating room. A huge change in the traditional way that surgery is being done. Now, every single operation, one does not use the robot. But I think it's fair to say that the robot assistic surgery is probably used in most operations, and the usage of the robots in surgery is continuing to grow. And thirdly, uh, one of the benefits is the robot itself has a certain type of mechanical dexterity that allows the surgeon to manipulate uh, the robot in ways that it would be very difficult for uh, the surgeon to physically use their hand. I know that sounds a little complicated, but the bottom line is the robot is more flexible in many more different ways, which ends up making the surgery more efficient and safer. It's another huge benefit for the robots in robot-assisted surgery in our operating rooms. What are some of the types of surgery that robots are, robots are used on? Well, pretty much most major types of surgery, prostate surgery, general surgery, gynecological surgery, heart surgery, and again, the usage is continuing to increase over time. What are some of the main advantages to the hospital 
for the robot. Remember what I said, when I get to advantages for the hospital, we're just about done. Uh, one of the huge advantages for the hospital is financial. Um, because of robots in the hospital uh, or artificial intelligent robots in the hospital, hospitals have been able to increase their revenue stream over $100 billion. And at the very top of that list is robot-assisted surgery. Basically, most hospitals increase revenue based on procedures as compared to medication or a number of days patients stay in the hospital. So anything that increases the efficiency uh, and volume of procedures tends to increase uh, revenue for the hospitals. And this is exactly what robot-assisted surgery does. Um, and so it ends up being win-win, theoretically. In summary... Artificial intelligence is not the future, it is now. And this is certainly true in healthcare. Artificial intelligence is defined as computer learning or non-human learning, if you will. Doctors like robots in surgery because surgery physically and technically is easier. Patients like robots in surgery or in robot-assisted surgery because it decreases pain, it decreases recovery time, uh, and it decreases hospital stay. Hospitals like robots uh, assisting in surgery because it increases revenue. And remember, robots have been in surgery for 15 years. They did not just start this year or last year, but their usage is growing and the number of types of surgery that they're being used on and the volume is significantly increasing. My basic principles, God is in charge. I am a physician of faith, and it is indeed has been my faith uh, in God that has sustained me over the years. I have no bad days. I'm one of those people who believes that they've had enough bad days. So I decided a number of years ago that I would not have any more bad days. And so I do not. I have good days and I have great days. I have learned that I don't sweat the small stuff and most stuff is small. Uh, consequently, I don't worry about little things. At least I try not to. Uh, and I found that that keeps me stress-free or at least minimally stressed and allows me to have a more fruitful and a more happy and a happier day. Forgiveness is therapy. If there are things that individuals and circumstances have done to you, um, forgive them. Uh, and you would be amazed how therapeutic it is, regardless of who's right or wrong or regardless of what the issues are. Just forgive. Uh, and that indeed is therapeutic. And finally, my final basic principle is that everything is relationship. Relationships are based on three things, mutual respect, mutual trust, good communication. If you have all three of those things, you have a very good relationship, whether it is a, a work relationship, a family relationship, um, a good friend relationship. Uh, and if you have a good relationship, uh, then it, chances are you are happier in your life. In spite of issues always associated with surgery, and regardless of the operation and regardless of how new the technique is or the uh, associated equipment, uh, be it a robot or something else, surgery is still a very, very um, dangerous uh, area. Um, and I think it's important to understand uh, that as patients, you have rights 
um, and we've gone over this before, but let me go over them again, um, that regardless of what type of technique is used, so who the physician is or is not, um, all patients who are to have any type of operation uh, need to have been given what we call informed consent. Those two words, informed, means that you should be given sufficient information uh, in a way that you understand it um, so that the second word, consent, you can consent or agree to the procedure. Uh, and this is particularly true uh, with invasive procedures or the larger the procedure is. Um, and the informed consent is very specific, regardless of what state you're in. Uh, it's very specific, and it has to cover three particular elements. And those elements are risk, benefits, and alternative treatment. Risk, benefits, and alternative treatment. What are the risks of the procedure? Uh, and the physician and or the proceduralist, be it the surgeon or the anesthesiologist or nurse anesthetist, uh, should, be, should give you specifics about what those risks are. Because again, you want to be informed enough so that you can then make a decision about whether this is an appropriate operation for you. I would encourage you to have family and or close friends with you if you don't feel comfortable um, making these decisions completely by yourself. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, but you want to be sure before you agree, because at the end of this process, uh, they're going to have you sign a form that says that you agree, that you've got sufficient information so that you can agree. If English is not your first language, and even though the doctor or the nurse or whoever, the physician or whoever's going to do the procedure is talking to you and you think you don't understand everything, um, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, well, you know, my, my English isn't the best and I think I understand, but I don't understand blah, 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 blah. Um, a lot of times, because informed consents are, are done every single day, many times a day, the individuals given them uh, tend to go very fast. Um, and it's important uh, uh, because this is new for you as a patient to slow them down uh, and to say, no, you need, you need to go over that again. Explain it to me. If, again, uh, English is not your first language, but you speak English and you speak it very well, it is within your right to say, I want someone who speaks Tagalog to come and explain this to me. Or uh, this, this form that you've asked me to sign is in English, and I don't understand all these words, and I want someone who speaks Mandarin or Cantonese uh, or Spanish to come and explain this to me, because I don't really understand. Most hospitals and organizations will not uh, allow patients uh, to use extensively their family members to interpret medical uh, information. Um, and if that indeed is the case, uh, you have a right to say, uh, I want to have someone who can talk to me in my language. If I, if I am Russian or Ukrainian, I want someone who can talk to me in my language uh, so that I can make sure that I fully understand what it is that you're, you're, you're going to do to me. Uh, another thing that's important to understand about informed consent, that when you have surgery, uh, there are basically two different areas of medicine or healthcare 
that are taking care of you. I'm talking about physician now. Uh, there's a surgeon, obviously, who's going to do the operation, whoever he or she is. But there's also another department called anesthesiologist. So there's an anesthesiologist, uh, whoever he or she is. Both of them are required to give you written information, verbal and written information, um, um, about what you're going to have to go through to have this operation. The surgeon is required to explain to you in details risks, benefits, and alternative treatment about the surgery. The anesthesiologist is required to explain to you in detail risks, benefits, and alternative treatment before you have anesthesia. Now, if you're having a local anesthesia, then those risks can, uh, may very well be small. But regardless, both are required to get consent from you or informed consent from you. Uh, and again, the informed part means that they need to give you information sufficient from your perspective, not their perspective, from your perspective, that you can indeed consent and say, okay, uh, I understand and I agree uh, to go ahead and let you put me to sleep for an hour or two hours or five hours or whatever the time may be. And the reason for that is I like to say that there are, there's always a possibility of complications. There are always a possibility of issues. Um, um, and it's not 100%, 100% of the time. Uh, and so you need to be aware so that you can make decisions and have um, family or friends advisors help you make decisions about whether you really want to have this procedure done at this time. Um, um, most of the times, um, patients will have those procedures done because the whole thing that, that, that brought you to the physician uh, is something significant enough that you want to be um, um, healed or have this whole issue resolved. But, but don't feel rushed. Uh, you know, and I know that's, that's hard to, to um, uh, fathom, uh, but you have rights. And feel good and feel free to exercise your rights. Uh, because those rights are designed to protect you uh, and to make sure that you get the very best care possible. So remember that there are two elements of an operation. There's the surgical element, physician. There's the anesthesia element, physician and or nurse practitioner. Okay. Uh, and so make sure, feel comfortable asking questions, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Now, I understand that's a challenge. I've, again, I've been a physician over 50 years, and I know that most of you will basically do whatever we physicians ask you to do uh, because you trust us and you respect us, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing wrong with that. That's completely appropriate. But you can also ask questions. So it's also okay to say, I do not understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, to say, I do not understand. I need more information. I need more time. Whatever those words are, I do not feel rushed unless it's an, a life-threatening operation and the decision has been made immediately. But if it's an elective operation, uh, meaning that it is it is not life-threatening and it does not have to be done immediately, um, then uh, feel free to, and even if it is an um, emergency operation, you still ask the questions. Uh, but certainly if it's an elective operation, feel free to ask those questions. What are the risks of this operation? What are the benefits of this operation? Uh, and what are the alternatives of me not having this operation? Uh, 
And those three elements have to be discussed with you. They have to be in writing uh, and you have to sign it uh, to say that you're in agreement. So before you sign anything, uh, make sure uh, that you're comfortable um, as best as you can be um, and, and you have received that information. Well, what are some of the risks for, say, robotic assisted surgery? Um, I basically, most of the literature suggests that robotic assisted surgery does not add a great deal to the basic risks of any type of operation. And surgery is risky uh, and usually depends on the operation you're, you're having, what your condition is prior to the surgery. Uh, but there are some things that may be relatively unique with using the, the robot. Uh, patients in very unique positions sometimes during the time of, of, of the robotic surgery. Um, um, they may be turned a certain um, certain ways. Um, and so that can be issues that have to do with um, um, peripheral nerve damage. And so you want to make sure that appropriate pain. Now, physicians all know this as the anesthesiologists. But again, uh, there's nothing wrong with you knowing that information also, uh, that, that there has to be appropriate padding uh, to make sure that there's no uh, nerve discomfort or, 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 or damage uh, after the operation. Uh, sometimes you may be in a, in a certain position doing surgery for a long period of time. Um, um, and so you want to make sure that's the case. Anesthesiologists particularly make sure that the eyes are closed, unless it's an eye surgery, obviously. Um, and frequently they will tape the eyes um, because a lot of times when we close our eyes, even when we're asleep, we may not close the lid completely. And so if you can see any part of the uh, of the eye uh, that's that's open above. Uh, 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 between the lids, uh, that area could be damaged in terms of having, a, having it scratched or, or injured in somehow. So use a good anesthesiologist, and, and, and anesthesiologists know this, uh, they will cover the eyes and tape them. Um, but, but again, just like the surgeon, the anesthesiologist has to give you informed consent, informed consent. They have to say, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm going to be providing anesthesia for you. Dr. Blah, blah, blah is going to do the surgery. I'm going to, I'm going to do the anesthesia. Do you have any questions after they go through uh, their litany of, of information to talk to you about? Uh, and it's important, again, uh, for you to be aware of that uh, and for you to ask the appropriate questions that you may need to ask um, uh, to make sure that everything goes well with your operation. Now, again, uh, the, the procedure itself is going to have risks, and, and the surgeon uh, should go over those risks with you. But anesthesia will also have risks. And so the anesthesiologist is required uh, by law and by ethics uh, to go over those risks with you. Uh, and if you are in, in any way uncomfortable, uh, it is okay to get second opinions. Say, well, you know, I, I, I need to talk to so-and-so. That's okay. Um, unless it's a life-threatening situation. And again, you still have the right to consent if you are alert and awake uh, and can give consent uh, to that being done. Uh, so uh, please keep that in mind. So most of the complications associated with uh, robotic-assisted surgery um, uh, tend to be those things that are associated with positioning of the patient uh, during the time of the operation, um, um, and they tend to form uh, uh, fall into the area of, of the anesthesiologist, and again, depending on the surgery, uh, because the surgeons themselves position patients, uh, certainly in orthopedics and other types of uh, uh, procedures, 
Uh, and so both have a dual responsibility there um, uh, to make sure that everything occurs okay. Um, um, again, um, there's no question that there are benefits to um, uh, robotic-assisted surgery, uh, but like with any type of surgery, uh, there, there are always risks, certainly if you're going to be asleep, uh, and it's important that those risks be explained to you uh, in the form of um, verbally and in writing, and in a language and in a way, using words that you can understand. Um, they cannot be using big words that make no sense to you because you're not a physician or may not be medically inclined. Uh, that is not your responsibility. That is the physician's and the healthcare team's responsibility. Uh, so feel free uh, to assert your rights. And if you're uncomfortable, bring a friend or somebody with you who will do that for you. That's okay. Uh, because one of the things that has occurred uh, in the area of Obamacare, 2010 Affordable Care Act, is that healthcare is now patient-centered. It is patient-centered. And that means that you're the most important, you, the patient, are the most important person in the room. Um, and so you're well within your, um, your rights to assert your rights. Uh, and if there's any pushback, small or large, uh, rethink whether you want to have these individuals take care of you if indeed you have that option at the time. And my final thought, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. Thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you found it helpful, you can support and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform with the keywords Dr. William Choctaw. Click on the support the show, and you've got it. This will also help ensure that you don't miss any future episodes. And then share this podcast with your family, friends, and or your coworkers. They'll be glad you did. So until the next time, live your best possible life the best possible way.